Many of you might not know, uh, but I did a year of a religious studies degree. Uh, I actually scored higher in it than I did in my French or my linguistics. Uh, and at the end of the year uh, project, I put forward the case that Christianity should not be taught in religious studies at degree level. My reason was that Christianity is not a religion. Now, the people who were doing the course thought this was a bit of a joke. Um, but I put forward the case that Christianity is often erroneously included along with other religions. A bit like uh, tomato often gets included in with vegetables. It sort of looks like a, a vegetable, but actually it's a fruit. And I argued in this presentation that Christianity is the exact opposite of a religion. And by the end of this evening, we'll see why that's the case. But we're going to see from our passage that Jesus did not intend to create another religion. We're going to see from Jesus' own words and actions that he hated religion. Jesus' harshest critics and those for whom he had the harshest criticism weren't the irreligious, but the religious. So we're going to look at an account here where Jesus engages with these religious people. And our first point is that Jesus, uh, sorry, religion wants posers. Jesus wants porkers. Uh, that's verses 27 to 32. I'll read them to us again. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat with and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now I uh, have joined the gym uh, I know it doesn't look much like I've joined a gym. Uh, some Somebody once said to me, you know, I go to a gym, but I'm just doing it wrong. That's probably uh, what I've been doing. Uh, but I've decided, I've, as I've been looking around my gym, you know, on the running machine, you can see really that there are two sorts of people at a gym. There are the posers and there are the porkers. Uh, those are, that's for la a word for larger people, if you uh, are not familiar with that term. I'll leave you to decide which one... Uh, which category I put myself in, but those are basically the two groups of people that go. And in our passage, the, the posers, if you like, are the Pharisees. They are very religious, but they like to make a show of when they are giving. They like to make a show of when they're praying. They like to make a show of when they're fasting. And they look down on less righteous people. We have uh, recorded prayers where they're saying, I, I thank you that I'm not like this person or I'm not like that person. And so holy are they that they don't hang around with the riffraff. They don't bother with them. And it's sort of understandable, isn't it? I mean, if you heard that me as a pastor uh, regularly spent time hanging around with prostitutes, you probably have the right to pose a question, wouldn't you? But it wasn't just those kind of characters. It was anybody that they looked down on. The tax collectors, the disabled, the socially marginalised. What would be the problem with hanging around with these people... Well, it would be how it was perceived, how it was seen. It wasn't the done thing to hang around with these people. But Jesus just won't have any of that. He hangs around here with the outcasts, with the prostitutes, with the tax collectors, even with the northerners, uh, the people from Galilee. And in our account here, really, they're the porkers, if you like, the ones who are a bit on the large side. You know that they need help. That's why 
porkers go to a gym. The porkers here are the tax collectors and the sinners. They know that they're not where they should be morally. They know it. People tell them it all the time. And in Jesus' words, they are the sick. They're the people in need of help. They're the people who need a doctor. And here, Jesus casts himself as the doctor, the physician. And who does a doctor hang around with but the sick? You see, people think that Christianity is for the sorted, but it's not. Christianity is for the messed up. That's the qualification for coming to Jesus. Not how righteous do you think you are, but how messed up do you know that you are? Not how well do you think you are, but how sick do you know that you are? And churches should be full of morally sick people. Coming to Jesus, the great physician, helping one another by pointing them to the great doctor. But instead, often churches, they get a bit lost in what they're doing, don't they? It's a bit like, I'm going to show you a video now uh, from Yes Prime Minister. Uh, See if you can recognise this. It's a hospital that has no patients. (laughs) And this is Jay Theatre. How much do all this cost? Together with radiotherapy and intensive care, two and a quarter million. Doesn't it appall you that it's not being used? Oh, no. A very good thing in some ways. It prolongs its life, cuts down running. But <laughs> <laughs> no patients. No, but the essential work of the hospital still has to go on. Are patients the essential work of the hospital? <sighs> running an organisation of 500 people is a big job, Minister. But if they weren't here, they wouldn't be here. What? Either you must get some patients into this hospital, or I shall go. Uh, Yes, well, Minister, in the course of time... No, no, not in the course of time, Mrs. Rogers. Now, get rid of 300 of your people, get some doctors and nurses, and get some patients. Now, look here. Without those 300 people, this hospital just wouldn't function. Don't you think it's functioning now? I don't care if you're to do varicose veins, hernias, and piles. Do something. Do you mean 300 jobs lost? Yes, I do, Mr. Fraser. A hospital is not a source of employment. It is a place for healing at the sick. Well, it's a source of employment for my members. And you want to put them out of work, do you? Is that what you call a compassionate society? I'd rather be compassionate to patients than to your members. Right. We'll come out on strike. <laughs> well, do What's the matter? Who can it harm? Do, please, come out on strike. The sooner the better. Take the administrators with you while you're at it. <laughs> and it's on to pay you. <laughs> See, posers want to look good, don't they? They want the high hygiene ratings. They want to look the part. But porkers actually know that they need the help and will offer others help as well. And as a church, actually, we need to be a hospital, don't we, for the sick, rather than just a, a museum uh, for the righteous, as it put it in the video uh, earlier. We need to be actually caring for people who don't fit the moral profile that we'd expect. Because religion wants posers, but Jesus wants porkers, like you and me. Secondly, though, religion values rules. Jesus values relationship. Have a look at verses 33 to 35. 
And they said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. And then they will fast in those days. Have you ever met a Jobsworth? Do you know what I mean by that term? Somebody at work who uh, cares more about the regulations and the rules than people. Uh, from my uh, growing up, I remember watching Red Dwarf. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but there's a character called Rimmer uh, in Red Dwarf who's always quoting the rule book. That's what he really cares about. It doesn't matter if they're in a crisis. He wants to quote the rule book rather than work out what's, what's going on. And generally, those sorts of people, they're a bit of a pain, aren't they? But religion thrives on jobs worths. The people who care more about rules than about people. Now, all religions have rules, don't they? I don't know if you, you knew that. But Islam, for example, has the five pillars, prayers, pilgrimage, uh, Ramadan, charity and confession. Buddhism, even, even though it's not really known as a religion of rules, has something called the Eightfold Path that you find out after a little while, which includes things like no murder, no meat, no alcohol. In the end, it just comes down to, to more rules. Well, in our passage, Jesus is asked, why don't his disciples fast like the Pharisees and John the Baptist's disciples? Why don't they go along with these religious things? Well, in the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament, they were prescribed to fast. But they're only prescribed to fast once a year on Yom Kippur. The Pharisees, though, they fasted three times a week. Think about that. They fasted more in a week than actually the Bible said that they were to do in a whole year. And they think that Jesus and his disciples, well, they're, they're just not up to their standards. Uh, in fact, they eat and drink. That's what it's, uh, it's put as there. They eat and drink. And Jesus himself was known by his opponents as a glutton and a drunkard. You see that there in Luke uh, chapter 7 on the back of your notice sheets. I always think it's strange that our pictures and paintings of Jesus have him as a sort of skinny skeletal figure. Whereas actually he's probably on the larger side by the, the criticism that he was uh, getting. And if you think he was a carpenter, so he's probably quite well built. But Jesus actually doesn't go along with with their extra rules that they've added in, this thing to make themselves look good, fasting three times a week. But Jesus did keep all the rules of the Bible, God's actual rules, not the ones that people had made up and passed off as God's. He refused to fit in with what was expecting expected of him. He hung around with tax collectors, who were the Roman collaborators who made money off the backs of their own people. He hung around with prostitutes, and the religious establishment hated him for it. Because they asked the question, well, how could he possibly be the Messiah if he keeps that sort of company? But he refused to keep these extra rules that have been added on. Who you could eat with, who you couldn't eat with. Whether you need to wash your hands before you eat. That wasn't a hygiene issue, it was a religious issue. He would do things on a Saturday that the Jews forbade. Jesus, instead of speaking about rules, spoke of a relationship with God as Father. A wonderful gift, as we were hearing this morning. Now, it still involved rules, doing what your Father tells you. Not free to make up your own rules. And not the foundation of that relationship. Because if you treat someone as though rules are the foundation of your relationship, they're not your Father, they're your boss. Religion gives you a boss. Jesus gives you a Father. And if you treat your father like a boss, then you're in trouble. So Jesus, he brings us relationship with God, not just a list of rules. 
And then thirdly and finally, religion brings same old. Jesus brings change. That's verses 36 to 38. Sorry, 39. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But the new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says the old is good. I wonder what people fear the most. I think there are several things, aren't there? There are sort of universal fears. There's death. There's loneliness. But one of the biggest things I want to argue, probably not the biggest, but one of the biggest, is change. People fear change. Uh, A couple of years ago, I read a book called Who Moved My Cheese? Has anyone read that book? It's a book about who moved my cheese. Um, It's a book about reacting to change. It's the idea of uh, different mice and how they reacted to this cheese being moved. And it looked uh, at different responses that you can have. Some of the mice were sort of petrified into inaction or just kept going to the place where the cheese used to be because they just can't get change uh, into their head. Uh, At one point while I was reading it, it was on a holiday, someone moved my book. uh, I immediately became panicked that I might have lost it. I don't know uh, quite what that says about me, but uh, we don't like change often as people. We'd like to think that we do, but often it, it scares us. But when Jesus came into the world, he started something new. Something that just wouldn't fit into the Judaism of his day. After all, that's why we have Christianity and not just a sect of Judaism. Judaism in Jesus' day had become a religion in the way that we've been describing it. And that's partly because all of us have a natural tendency towards religion. You could call it a religion reflex, if you like. So we take football and we turn it into a religion. You know, this becomes you follow that group, I follow this group, we're going to fight about it, we're going to, you know, you've got your holy ground at Old Trafford or at Elland Road. We take economics and turn it into a religion. We're going to see that a little bit next week as we look at Marxism. But all of us have this sort of inbuilt ability to change something into a religion. And Judaism had become a religion at this point. Laws that were meant to help them live had become tick lists for them to tick off. Now, people like tick lists, don't they, generally? Uh, maybe you're not one of those people who finds great um, satisfaction in ticking off a list at the end of the day. I quite enjoy it. My uh, program that I use makes a nice little ding sound and it sort of gives me a sense of achievement. But people like tick lists with religion as well, don't they? You know, I've never killed anyone. Tick. Never stolen anything big. Tick. Never made an idol. Tick. So I'm okay. Great. But Jesus brought something so much bigger than a tick list. Something entirely new. A break from what Judaism had become. A new deal with God. A new relationship with God. And it's not a boring one. Here it's pictured as new wine. It's pictured as new clothes. It's not just a boring alternative. It's something new. So what Jesus is offering here is not religion, but something new. But as verse 39 tells us, people don't like the new. Not really, because, well, the old one's comfortable. The old one, you know, it's safe and sort of feels nice and cosy. But Jesus here doesn't offer comfortable and safe. He offers something new, something amazing, a relationship with God. 
But this all begs one big question. Uh, you're probably wondering this. Sorry if this was going to be your question after uh, the next song. Uh, but why does Christianity then so often feel like something old? Why does Christianity often feel like a religion? Well, that's because as human beings we have that religion reflex. We take Christianity, a relationship with God through Jesus, and we turn it into a religion. We add in the tick lists and the rules. We want people to be like show-offs and posers, uh, putting across their life as though nothing is wrong. Not, uh, not really showing that they're sick and need help of the doctor, but just pretending that they're well. So Christianity, in lots of cases around the country and around the world, is not what it's supposed to be. You see, with most religions, it's intrinsic about those rules and things. But not to Christianity. It's a relationship. Rules are there, but they're not the essence of what it is. So it does mean this evening that you could have a Christianity, so-called, but it's not the real thing. A Christianity that's more of a religion than a relationship. One of the, the good ways to tell whether you've got religion or real Christianity, is to ask yourself this question. If I were to die tonight, and I met with God, and he said, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? This is one of those questions that really reveals whether you've got a religion or a relationship. If the answer starts with, because I've done baptism, or because I've gone to church, or because I've led a good life, then you've got a religion. It's that tick list. This is what I do. The answer is because Jesus did. He did die on a cross in my place. And uh, as the video did, and I, I, I got in before the video, so it's missing from my slides. Uh, religion says do, but Jesus says done. And in the end, that's the big difference, isn't it? This is why Christianity is not a religion. And that's how I finished my presentation. And what followed were some interesting questions. Uh, my seminar tutor was a Buddhist, so he had all sorts of interesting things. There were some quite vocal people in that class. 